James chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are among you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a way of slaughter. They have slaughtered. You have condemned. You have murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until he receives the early and the latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath. But let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. So far the word of the Lord. I want to give this the title, All In. All In. There was a couple of titles I thought about, but I'm going to go with this and and see if I can connect connect the dots. Some of you have uh, know of the situation with Bernie Madoff. This was 2008, 2009. Uh, it was noted as one of the largest, it was the largest Ponzi scheme in history and one of the largest defraudings of people in America uh, that's ever been on record. Uh, there was about $64 billion over a period of time that, uh, and maybe over a period of 30 years, I believe, that he uh, defrauded people with, with intent. Uh, as, as a matter, matter of fact, the judge, when he finally got sentenced, called him one of the biggest evils that he had ever seen. He had 4,800 clients over that period of time and, and uh, just ruined many people's lives while he lived in luxury. And at the time when he was arrested, you know, $45 million he had in bonds and $17 million cash and almost $9 million worth of, worth of yachts and $3 million worth of jewelry. Uh, as even now, he's still in prison, will will ultimately die there, a 150-year sentence. Now, it, it's honestly, if I can just get right to this, it's that kind of mentality and that kind of attitude that James is confronting. He's confronting that that mindset about about riches and about money and about the wrong pursuits that he addresses. There are a few things, though, I think that we should just note when it, when it comes to, the, to, to money, or well, more so in this case, it's talking riches as a whole, that there's, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with any believer being rich. Nothing wrong with that. Um, as, as, as a matter of fact, I, I believe that if, if, the, if the scriptures is true, 
that the word of the Lord tells us that if we obey him in tithing and our offerings, the, the, the promise is that he will open up the windows of heaven so wide that you won't have enough room to take it all in. I don't know why y'all got quiet on me right then, but it's a promise of the Lord. Now, by no means does that promise mean you'll be rich, but how many of us know every day that I can lay my head down at night and I ain't got no bill collectors chasing me down. I'm not in debt with folks. I'm not on a bunch of people. I can take care of my family. That there's a peace about that. There's a richness that my bank account can't even define. Am I, am I, y'all doing all right? And so there's nothing wrong. I think sometimes we take the attitude uh, that, that we, we get negative uh, uh, toward rich people. And there's nowhere in scripture that the Bible even addresses that manner, addresses it in that way. Uh, and because we don't maybe see that in, in our life in, in the manner of how God can provide, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is not a God that's faithful and true and wants us to be people. The scripture tells us, it's a prayer actually of John, that we should be uh, uh, prosperous, that we should be of good health even as our soul prospers. But now let me, let me just tell you what the Bible does address about riches. And, and that is that there's, it's a useless comparison to compare being, being rich or riches with eternity. It's a useless comparison. And, and the Bible tells us clearly that we're not to store up our treasures here on earth with the same mindset of storing up treasures in heaven. It's not even a comparison. Jesus said it this way, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so again, is Jesus even saying that Christians are, cannot be rich? No, he's not saying that at all. But what Jesus is teaching is real clear that the treasures you have here on earth should never compare to the treasure that you have in heaven. And the desire that you have for heaven should not even ever compare to the desire that you want to have things here on earth. If, if, if I can say it an, another way, he's saying the place where your treasure is, that's where you desire to be. That's where your heart is. My treasure is not at First Bank Yuma. I don't want to live there. I don't want to stay there. I don't want to be locked into a vault. My desire is in heaven because that's where my treasure is. Does that make more sense? And so that's what Jesus is saying. And, I, and I, I think you know that in marriage. I think you know that in relationships. I think you know that in so many aspects of your, of your spiritual life. If you, certainly if your heart, your desires for your wife or your husband, that's where you want to be. You want to be where they are. Jesus is saying the same thing. Our treasure, our heart will be wherever our treasure is. And then, and also I should say, the scripture does warn us what would happen to us if our hearts did become obsessed or consumed with the thought of being rich or, or just overabundance in money. 
And, and it, it tells us this, that basically we'll get in trouble. That's basically what it says in a nutshell. First Timothy 6, 9, and 10 says this, but those who desire to be rich, that's the key, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Listen to what Paul is telling Timothy in this warning. Again, he's saying when that desire for money comes or that desire for riches comes, more than likely it can lead us to ignore God and it can lead us to ignore others, meaning our own brothers and sisters. It can lead us to ignore the thing that's imminent, that the Lord is coming to judge us for a heart toward him. So it can lead us to a wrong attitude. That's what the scriptures is teaching. And it's interesting, we talk so much about Sodom and Gomorrah, and there's a lot to talk about with Sodom and, and Gomorrah, or at least there was. It's blown up now, but there was a lot to talk about. But listen to what the scripture says about the real evil of Sodom. The sin of your sister Sodom was this. She lived with her daughters in the lap of luxury, proud, gluttonous, and lazy. They ignored the oppressed and the poor. They put on airs and lived obscene lives. And you know what happened? I did away with them. That's really the bottom line. That's what James is saying to the community of those among them that he's writing to in Jerusalem. He doesn't condemn them for being rich. He condemns them for their attitude because they are rich. So much so that it was affecting the community, the way that they interacted, the way that they looked out for the poor and the needy, which as you know, we've fell in love with James. He's told us so many times what it means for us as believers to look out for the poor and needy and to be in community just like we're in family, brothers and sisters. But he said, there's a group of you among, among our family that's oppressing people and causing people to suffer. And, and some of the actions that you're taking toward them are ungodly and they're unjust. And, and because of that, James says, I need to let you know the Lord is coming. It's, it's not a matter of you being able to get away with it. Maybe here on earth, but the Lord is coming. And, and because the Lord is coming, that kind of attitude and that kind of mindset will be judged. At the same time, he wants to tell the believers in the community who are suffering or who are being persecuted or who are being put in a, in a bad situation, who are being oppressed or maybe taken advantage of, he wants to tell them the same thing. This is good news. The Lord is coming. That is good news. And he will be the one that's judged. And, and so I, I think I need you to lean in here because here is what I, what I want you to get. In every place of life, in every season of life, and no matter what culture you are, no matter what status you are, no matter how you was raised, no matter where you live, no matter how you were brought up, there are injustices in life that happens to every one of us. None of us here are immune to injustices. Things happen in life. People mistreat you. People do things. And can I just be real honest as the pastor? How many know even in the church you can get hurt? Some, now, see, y'all wouldn't say nothing when I said nothing about money. But as soon as I say something about being hurt, yeah, that's me, Pastor. That's me. You're talking to me. But it's true. 
We can get hurt in church. You know why? Because hurt people hurt people. And, and we're a community of people who are, as, as my friend Dr. Clark would say, the church is the biggest hospital in town. I, I don't want you to offend your neighbor, but, but look at your neighbor and say, you're just as sick as I am. Just, and, and, that, and, that's, and that's why we're here. And that's why we're here. Because we're in, we're in a place where we can get the healing balm of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're in a place where the Spirit of God can work with us and heal us and make, take us from dead people to people who are alive. And we learn how to live in life so much better and among people so much better. And so James is saying to those who are doing this oppression among the community that this is causing damage. And, 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 and you know, you know as, as well as I do, when you allow your responses to things that happen, when people are unjust to you or injustices come or people do you wrong, we know as well as I do, we can, that could become a poison to us. And it can be like a venom that comes out of our mouth. When, we, when we've been rightfully wrong and, and, and marriages can get split up and families get divided and church relationships can go bad, I think it was John Bevere who said it well in his book, The Bait of Satan. It, it's, one of the, it's one of the biggest things that can divide people. When we, when we get offended and we, and we get upset and we, and we get to grumbling, when all of that takes place, Satan wins. It's not the church that wins. It's Satan that wins. And we lose and the community suffers. And James is reminding us that don't, don't do that. So, so he's, he's talking to both groups. On the one hand, he's talking to the one group saying, you, you're, you're going to be in trouble if you don't change that kind of attitude toward your fellow believers, toward brothers and sisters. If you don't change your mindset toward them, because you can doesn't mean you should or you do. You've got to change your mindset. If you don't do that, you're going to have an issue when the Lord returns. At the same time, though, he's talking to the group who are being oppressed and who are suffering and this is what he says to them, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. He's saying, don't grumble. Don't, don't speak against them. Don't, don't let that affect you. Don't let that get like a poison in your system. Don't let that affect your mind and don't let it affect your heart. Nothing about this does James tells them that this may change right away. The reason I say that, it's, it's not because James gave any words to give any indication or to tell them that it won't change. But then James says, when he tells them, don't grumble, uh, the Lord is coming. Then he tells them to be patient. He be, to be patient. Not patient that things will change. Because, uh, yeah, we're living in a world, we're living in a society. Uh, There's so many things we see on the news day after day, and every one of us would wish, man, I wish things would change. Come on now, can I be just flat honest with you? We've been dealing with racism ever since people were created. We've been dealing with racism. And every day we'd like to say, I wish it would change. Can I just tell you something? It's not going to. People can change. But there will always be racism in some aspect or another. So I tell you what James says, if you're ever on the other side of that, just be patient. Why be patient? Waiting for it to change? No, because the Lord is coming. And and see, it's a reminder to us. I didn't think I was going to do this much teaching, but I'm I'm in deep water now. I'm going to swim. It's a reminder to us that 
that, that we don't want to stay here because nothing about uh, one of my favorite cartoons when I was a kid was that group that was going around in this little blimp like thing looking for the perfect place I think it was the hair bear bunch looking for the perfect place and every place they went they found out there was something wrong with that place Uh, you can find something wrong in Yuma in Phoenix in Chicago in New York in DC in Guatemala in uh, Bosnia you can find something wrong everywhere because this is not where we're supposed to stay this is not where we're supposed to be and so no matter where we live no matter who we are no matter what we engage in there's going to be things that come against us in life that would make every one of us want to get an attitude and make every one of us want to walk around angry and, and every one of us just be impatient with people and, and intolerant of folks and get to the point where I don't want to see anybody. But James says, don't get that kind of attitude. Just be patient. People will be people and people will do what people do. But James says, just be patient because the Lord is coming. And, and, it, and it develops an inner awareness of us, first of all, of the coming of the Lord. But second of all, it just de- a, de- develops a yearning for us to keep our affections above. Every day we live on this planet, no matter how good the day is, it should not take away the yearning that we have to be with the one who created us for all eternity. Can I tell you what I think one of the biggest problems is that Christians have, why Christians struggle so much with the Christian life? They're trying to make their living on earth all about the Christian life and everything being good when it's never designed to be that way. It's never designed to be that way. But when Christians get the mindset that this is just a rest stop, it's a rest stop where I got to pay bills. It's a rest stop where I got children. It's a rest stop where I got to go to work. It's a rest stop that has all those things in it, but it's just a rest stop because this is not the place I'm camping out too long. Everything about us ought to have that desire. I want to see Jesus. I want to be with my Lord, did I, did, I, did I leave the right church? Y'all all right? And so James says, be patient. The Lord will deal with all things. He'll get all things right. And he gives some examples here, interesting examples, of what this patience looks like. Uh, I'll read verse 7 and 10 and 11 again out of New Living. It says, dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. Then he gives another one. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. And then he gives another. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy three, I think three great examples. And every one of those, the the Jewish community that he's writing to, they know the picture of everyone. They come from an agricultural community, of course. So they get that. They know about the prophets for sure because they're believing in the prophets. And they certainly know about the stories of of Job. And he gives an analogy and he says, obviously, when when a farmer's farming, 
And there's, there's things, uh, things that the farmer has to do. He's got to cultivate the ground, as you well know. We're in the ag community. He sows the seed, and then he anticipates the harvest. A little bit different for us in Yuma than even what, they, what James addresses there is that because of our irrigation system, and this is just a parenthesis, because of our irrigation system, we don't necessarily here have to wait for the rain. As a matter of fact, farmers here will tell you if rain comes more than what they want or don't anticipate, it can mess the crops up because of our irrigation system. But in most places around the country, the reason other places got to do that is the farmers in other places ain't as smart as the farmers in Yuma. We know what to do in case we don't get rain. But, but, in, but, but, but for those that have to wait, they do that, and then they wait for the rains to come. And they're patient. They know they can't do anything unless all of those elements are in place and there's an anticipation that everything's going to fall just right. They cultivate the ground. They sow the seed. There's a time of rain that comes and they're anticipating the harvest. But their patience is not just sitting in a chair, like just sitting there watching the field. They know just sitting there watching that field is not going to do it. There's things that they still do in the meantime, living life, being farmers, fixing ditches, fixing uh, um, uh, machinery, fixing equipment, doing buying and selling. They still do things in the meantime while they're anticipating the harvest. And it's the same cycle in our life with the Lord. We cultivate that ground. We break up the stony ground of our heart, as the Scripture tells us. We let the seed of the Word come in, and then we're anticipating the coming of the Lord. But we're not just sitting on our bedside one day, just sitting there waiting every day, minute after minute, say, the Lord may come, the Lord may come, the Lord may come. No, we're still living life. We're still doing life, but everything we do, we're still anticipating the harvest when the Lord comes to take his people home. So James says, you get that illustration. You just keep living life, and you know that there's going to be a day when the harvest will come. And he talks about the, the, the prophets. And I think you remember what happened to these fellows in the Old Testament, or some of them at least. Those fellows, Isaiah, I can talk about Jeremiah, I can talk about Ezekiel, at least those three. They declared in a time when the nation of Israel was doing horrible against the Lord. They proclaim that, listen, if we believe in him, if we turn to him, if we trust the Messiah that's coming, all of this will be restored. We'll be restored as a nation. We'll be brought back as a people of God. It will be multitudes of us, not just us, but people of all nations. If we just continue to believe the promises of the Lord. Isaiah declared that, Jeremiah declared that, Ezekiel declared that. All of those books, when you read them, those first multitude of chapters, maybe half the book in most of the cases, it talks about the judgment and the word that the Lord wants to bring to the nation. But each of those books conclude with the promises of what God wants to do if the people of God can believe that the Lord is going to do what he said he was going to do. But all of them, their life ended in disaster. You see, because Isaiah, here's the catch to Isaiah. Isaiah told the people of Israel about things that was going to happen that he knew they would never see in their lifetime. And Isaiah knew he would never see it. So they're hearing Isaiah declare about the judgment that God is bringing on the nation, but the righteousness that God is going to bring them to and the coming Messiah that's going to restore everything with with knowing that it wasn't going to happen in their time. He knew that. They didn't know that. They didn't know that. So the scripture tells us that they sawed Isaiah in half to kill him. 
Jeremiah, they stoned. Ezekiel, I believe, also was stoned. All of them suffered, but what? They suffered in faith. Why? Because they anticipated that God is a God that will keep his promises, that God is a God that will keep his word. And even though they suffered and they were under oppression, they still yet had the patience to believe that God was going to do what he said, even if they didn't see it in their own time. And we also know the story of Job. We know his story and what he endured and all the things that was happening to him. But there's a greater point here that sometimes we miss. Job had an issue with what he was going through because he didn't get it. Yet Job's complaints was to the Lord. And as he complained to the Lord, or at least spoke those things to the Lord that he didn't understand, Job continued to hang in there. And do you remember the end of that story? Let me just read it real quick. After the Lord had finished speaking to Job, he said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. My servant Job will pay, pray for you, and I will accept his prayer on your behalf. I will not treat you as you deserve, for you have not spoken accurately about me as my servant Job has. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before. So even through all that he suffered, Job had the patience. He had conversations with God, but he had the patience to hang in there. It paid off. We, we live in a, the cliche is a microwave culture. We want everything fast and we want it faster. It, it's interesting how much time people can spend hours on social media and if the traffic light in front of them, the people haven't moved in 10 seconds, they about to blow them off the road with the horn. No patience. Can't wait in line for a seat. And patience has a purpose. Listen to what this scripture says, 1 Peter 5, 10, after you have suffered a little while, the God of grace, I, I think you missed that. I, I heard one amen over here. After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to this eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. After you've suffered a little while, he'll do that. And James says this, and I'm actually getting ready to close this message. James says, you too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. Now, I titled this All In. And, and, and that's honestly the question I want to ask you. Are you all in? Are you all in? And, and let me just tell you what I mean by that and, and why I'm asking you that. Are you, are you all in? I... I let me just just give this little quick truth. Every right now, uh, it's only May, and I'm already excited about uh, Yuma Catholic football. I'm already excited. I'm already excited about it. And but but here's the thing: every year I gotta contemplate whether I'm gonna do this another year. I gotta contemplate. And when I have that face-to-face -face with Coach Stallworth and, and, and we're, he's asking those questions of what I want to do, where my mindset is, the, the, basically what he's always asking me is, are you all in? And I got to think about that. Am I, am I willing 
to put that much more time in anywhere from another 15 to could be 20 hours of my week to, to endure some days that are long. And I don't even do as much as a lot of them do. Endure long days and, and months for an anticipated reward, five or six months. It's, it's not an easy answer. I got to count the cost. I got to count the cost of that, what that is. I got I to gotta count the cost. Am I willing to turn down ministry opportunities from mid-August to all the way to Thanksgiving? Am I willing to turn those down? A- am I willing to tell people as much as I would love to do your wedding, I, I can't do your wedding during these months? A- am, I, am I willing to, to rearrange my date nights and give up my weekends? Am I willing to walk along the sideline with a three-by-five card in with my sermon in my pocket because we got stuff going on all weekend and I got to keep pulling my card out to keep reflecting on my message so I'll be prepared on Sunday? I got to ask that question. Am I really ready for all that? Am I all in? I I get it. He sees what the reward would be for him. But I got to anticipate a reward that I may not totally be able to see, but I got to answer the question, am I all in? I don't know what every day is going to bring. I don't know what every week is going to bring, but am I all in? And and let me tell you what James is saying here in verse number 12. He says, for us, our yeses got to be yeses and our noes got to be no. Many of us have said, I give my life to the Lord Jesus Christ and he is my Lord and Savior. And I want to live for God and I want to serve God and I want to do everything God wants me to do. But I got to ask you, are you really all in? I mean, have you really counted the cost? of what it might mean to say, I'm all in for Jesus. Because I'm here to tell you, there's going to be days you ain't going to like what God does. There's going to be times you're not going to like what comes your way. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be obstacles. There's going to be days you think you're heading to a rose garden and it's thorn bushes. There's going to be some things that you're not anticipating. But here's the question. Are you all in? Are you willing to pay the price? Are you willing to do what God wants you to do? Are you willing to give it all? And I'm going to tell you, I've thought about this. I've contemplated this. And I don't, I don't mind just bringing this home and just overcook your grits for just a minute. We need to be just like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. And if they're willing to say, I'm going to do what God called me to do, so will I. We got to make the same determination. If that means I may lose my life, so will I. James said to the people there, he says, I need you to be patient. I need you to be courageous. If they could in that time and that season and don't enjoy the life that we have now, why can I say so will I? If Job endured and Job didn't lose, I haven't lost nothing compared to Job. But if I can look at his life and see what he did, I can say to the Lord, so will I. I'm willing to do the same thing. And you know why? You know why? Because I love you as a family. I love people. I love my city. I love the call of God. I love life. I love that God gives me an opportunity to be an ambassador of him that people that are far from God can find life in Christ. Why wouldn't I want to do this? Why wouldn't I want to live for him? Why wouldn't I want to serve him? Why wouldn't I want to represent the one that gave his life for me? 
Yes, believe me, there's some days I put my head in a pillow and scream so nobody hears me. There's days I crawl on my knees and ask God to give me grace before I face another person I don't trust. There's times when I think, Lord, I don't know if I can take one more blow, one more punch, but when it's all said and done, when he asks, Tyrone, are you in? I say, yes, I'm all in. So will I, it's for my sake, it's for your sake, it's for my family's sake. I want my children to tell my grandchildren, you know why your grandpa was like that? He was all in. As a matter of fact, put it on my gravestone. He was all in. I'm giving him all because Christ is worthy of my all. He's worthy of it. We're all in because Jesus is worthy of it. We're all in. We're all in. I'm going to close this out and I want to give you two verses. Listen to this. Listen to what the writer said, of, the writer of Hebrews. And everybody needs to get this. We all need to hold on to this. Don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Yeah, that's an amen. Don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patience, endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. Come on, come on. And here it is. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But get this, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but those who have faith and persevere their soul. We're all in. We're all in. This young lady where she had to got baptized, she said, I'm all in. How about you? Are you all in? Because Christ was all in when he gave his life. Body was broken. Blood was shed. There was nothing about that cross that Jesus said, hold, 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 hold it, Lord. Hold it, Father. I, I didn't buy in all this. This ain't what I bought into. This ain't what I was anticipating. This, this, oh, no, no, no. Y'all better bring me down. Don't you know I'm Jesus? Bring me down. No, no, no. He said, not my will, but your will be done. Your will be done. And every time we endure what we go through for the sake of Christ, we'll hear the same thing that that thief on the cross said today. You'll be with me in paradise. All in. Prayer team, you can come. Prayer team to come. All will be open. Let me just say two prayers with you. Two prayers. Head bows and eyes closed if you don't mind. If you're one of those ones that say, you know, I, I, I am a believer. I am a confessing believer, a follower of Christ. And I can be absolutely honest sometimes. I'm one of those ones that think, man, this is, this is too tough. This is hard. I've even heard people tell me that their life was better or easier when they weren't serving the Lord. Come on. If you're one of those ones that you waffle sometimes, made a decision, and you might be one that's actually what we call backslid, not even walking in fellowship, but you know Jesus is Lord and Savior. 
I just want you to lift your hand and say, Pastor, just pray for me because I want to be all in. Just lift your hand and say, pray for me. I want to be all in. God bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. Father, you see the hands all over the building. Whatever their condition is, you know it. Wherever they're struggling, you know it. Whatever they're walking with in their mind or their heart, you know it. Somebody been walking here today, Lord God, thinking I'm just, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do and come to church, but I'm, I'm just not doing this. I just don't see any benefit. But today, Lord God, I pray that they were once to know I, I'm going to be all in. I'm going to be all in. I'm going to be all in. So, Lord, help them. Help them, Lord God, to keep their commitment. In Jesus' name. I want you to keep your heads bowed for just one more request, one more prayer here. Eyes closed. You might be here and, and you deal with life like the rest of us. You go through things of suffering and you go through things of challenges. Life can be up and down, unsteady, unsure. Maybe living some doubt, maybe living some fear, uncertainty, maybe even confusion. That can be just a lot of life, which people go through that. But you don't have any help. You don't have any assistance. You don't have any supernatural support. You know that you're living life alone. You're not, you haven't asked the Lord to help you in your life. Haven't developed a relationship with him. Haven't made a commitment to really let him be the Lord of your life. But you know you got a need for that. You recognize that the spirit of God is convention you might even walked in here today with some anxiety and just overwhelming concern of what's going to happen next and hoping something good will happen to you today i'm here to tell you something good can happen you can make a commitment today to give your life to the lord who created you the god who made you the one who knows how to do life best because he created us all and i'm here i'm as a witness and there's there's hundreds of witnesses in this building that can tell you he can be trusted. And I, and I want to invite you to trust the Lord today. Trust what God has done for you. He's made a way for you to have a life in which it can be peaceful, joyful, have stability, have wisdom. You don't have to live in confusion and anxiety. It's a life that can give us some peace. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. But you got to make a choice today of whether you want to be all in of whether you want to be all in. And that's my invitation. If you're here and you've never made that commitment and today you want to make that commitment to say, you know, I get it. I, I get it and I want to be all in. Just just lift up your hand and let me see you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Blessings to you. Blessings to you, man. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you. Come on, let's celebrate the Lord. Let's celebrate what the Lord is doing. So grateful to God. Let's pray this prayer together and we'll get ready to wrap this up. Just pray with me. Father, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to establish a new life for me. I make my commitment today that I'm all in with Jesus. I pray you help me day to day that I may learn the walk of obedience and I may live according to faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you today. God bless you.
that want prayer, please come. Uh, if you made a commitment of faith for the first time, you, you got a couple of manners you can do this. You can come and let somebody know you made that commitment because we want to follow up with you. Or you can do it on a connect card and put it in one of the offering boxes when you go out. And I do thank you all for your giving and your and just your support of the ministry. And you can give on your way out or through the app and the website, etc. But if you want prayer for healing, if you want prayer for, if you need to be baptized, you can come and let us know, or you can put on a connect card. Any prayer requests, again, you can come, or you can put on a connect card. We want to follow up with you. We want to pray with you. We want to help you become a Christ follower. So I'm going to dismiss you. Those who want to remain and hang out and worship, please feel free to do so. Those who need to go, thank you for being here. We look forward to seeing you next week. Father, we thank you for helping us, Lord God to be in a place together where we can hear what you're saying to us, where we can worship you and where we can glorify you. And we thank you for the time we've had together in this gathering. Be with us as we go from here to our various places, our various homes. Uh, Lord, I pray that you just grant the people of God today good fellowship and, and family and relationships. May they all have a good week. May our small groups, our CLGs, Lord God, be rich and healthy. And Lord, may you be glorified as we go out to do the work that you've called us to do in our city that we so love. In Jesus' name, can we say amen?